It was March 20th, 2012, and uh, was down in Oaxaca, Mexico, on a missions trip along with, at that time, Leadership Resources. Chad Negley was with us. Eric Beal was with us. Joel Brasfield, who was playing the guitar this morning, preached the last few weeks. We're all sitting in a room uh, up on a mountain in Oaxaca with these pastors from Mexico and training them, and it was 12.02. And the building started to violently shake back and forth. I mean, it was so strong that I literally was sitting and I had to grab the table next to me to make sure that, you know, I didn't know what was going on, what was coming next. And it was just a real uh, amazing moment. Obviously, we're in an earthquake. And uh, we were about 100 miles away from the epicenter, which was right on the border of Oaxaca and Guerrero. And... uh, It was a 7.4 earthquake. And I'll never forget uh, saying to Eric when we went back a little bit later, I said, Eric, I've never been in a building that moved like that before. He says, Pat, it wasn't the building, it was the mountain. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, that gave me some perspective. He's right. Not only the mountain, but everything on the mountain was moving violently back and forth as a result of this earthquake. And I remember seeing shortly after that time when we came back out of the mountain, some of the pictures from the Epe Center and the destruction that took place from this violent earthquake that 100 miles away, we could feel the shaking. Well, actually, in January, and I think it was January 20th of 2020, There was the foreshock, if you're familiar with foreshocks, earthquakes, a little sign something's coming, uh, took place of a cultural earth shake in the state of Washington as the first case of COVID was announced here in the United States. About seven weeks later, the World Health Organization announced that there was officially a pandemic and as we know shortly thereafter, there was a 8.0 on the Richter scale of a cultural earthquake that took place that the uh, feeling of it, (laughs) whether you're 100 miles away or right near the center of that earthquake, that cultural uh, earthquake, it created all kinds of damages and changes. You know, there's a thing I think they call aftershocks with an earthquake. And what's going on there is is that because there was a gigantic movement of the land in an earthquake, well, with the new settling of the land, there's an aftershock where there's a resettling. Uh, Maybe not as bad, but there's a resettling of the land. And then there may be after that resettles, another resettling until it finds its place again. And this cultural earth shock, earth shock, earthquake, has had many aftershocks where we have felt it, the adjusting and readjusting of our culture and our lives in light of this tremendous cultural earthquake that took place, uh, which we know is COVID. And the reality is, is this. There's a lot of new normals that have come out of this as the uh, culture has been shifting back and forth trying to find its new footings. 
And not all the things that have come out are good. And they've affected our lives. Some have affected our families. They've affected our communities and they've even affected our church. And people have been impacted at the spiritual level, the soulish level with their emotions and their mind, the physical level, uh, the uh, even relationally it has impacted us. And you add to it the anxiety and the anger and the broken dreams and the discouragements and the depression that have come out of this. Uh, this thing has really shaken our country and, uh, and the people that live in it as we feel the, and that's why I use that illustration because I really feel it was a cultural earthquake that really has caused tremendous changes and damage and impact to us. Individuals, you know, we've been impacted. People are feeling uh, kind of foggy from it. People are feeling frustrated from it. Uh, they've been impacted at every level. And for some, it feels like the epicenter was 100 miles away. And like me, that I actually grabbed the table next to the, the seat I was sitting in. To, you know, like, oh, I don't know where this thing is going. For some of you, you, you felt that. But for some of you, the epicenter might have been right at the center of your life or your family because COVID has impacted you that deeply on what's taken place. And your life has been turned upside down. One of the aftershocks to this earthquake we've been reading about, hearing more about, started about a year ago, is what they're calling the great resignation. You know, there's all kinds of economic impacts that we're feeling and all kinds of, we can see it on the news and all the backups, and I don't understand the impact of everything, but a lot of people have resigned from their work for different reasons that all started as a result of this. And they're doing it in masses. And I think that the great resignation has reached into the church. As many people have stopped attending services, when it comes to ministries throughout the week, and even others on Sundays, people have stopped getting involved and stopped serving in them. And even with relationships, many have really kind of uh, stopped getting together with other people and connecting and have really drawn back. And so we find ourselves in a whole new place. I understand for some, and so I'm not here to say who's right or wrong in this. There are some who maybe for very legitimate and medical and wise reasons you have to do that. But I think there's more who out of new habits and maybe out of fear have been really isolated and pulled back from things that are very healthy for them, for people that are very healthy for them, and for the church and the body of Christ that is very healthy for them. Even those that have re-engaged. I mean, you know, there's people come back and they said this, you know, Pat, I'm back, but I still feel isolated and disconnected to other people. And, and some have even said, I have to admit, I'm not re-engaging the way I did before COVID. I'm back, but I'm kind of back on my own sitting in the crowd and not really interacting 
and joining together with others. So this cultural earthquake has been big. That's the, and you know, that's not just, I'm not just talking about Moraine Valley Church. That's the church in North America has felt this. Uh, I mean, as I read about what's happening in here uh, with other pastors and other churches, what's going on, Moraine is not unique. We're just, we're like everybody else. And um, these new normals, these aftershocks to the culture and these new normals really have been hurtful to many people's lives, to their marriages, to their relationships, and even to the church of Jesus Christ. And if there's ever a time that this world, as well as believers, need the church to be the church, this is the time. You following me? Kind of the church has kind of stepped back with everybody else, and you're gonna see in the weeks to come what I mean by the church. Uh, We're not talking about Sunday morning services. We're talking about something so much bigger than that because Sunday morning service is just one small expression of what the church is. So I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ and all its fullness and what it's meant to be. What you'll hear in weeks to come has in some way also pulled back with the rest of the world and has disengaged. And the church is vital because it's God's instrument here in this world where he has chosen for the life of Jesus and the mission of Jesus to continue as Jesus went back up. We're called the body of Christ. I'm gonna talk about that next week a little bit, but uh, that's kind of who we are. We're, We're the presence of Jesus through him living in us right now on earth and he does his work through here. The church is vital. As a matter of fact, Being a part of who you are in the church brings vitality. So it's not just the fact that the church is very important and vital for God's plan in the world. The proper connection and relationship with the church is so key for our own vitality as we seek to live in life. And as I said, many people have been hurt. Many families have been hurt. Many communities have been hurt. Uh, because they've lost the influence of the church being the church. That's why this morning we're starting a new series, and I want to say we. I'm excited to share this with uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Josh as uh, we share the burden together because we felt it as pastors. We've seen it and concerned about the church coming back to its place and its role of being a vital part of what God has designed the church to be that the world so desperately needs around us and which we so desperately need for our own health and our own life. So we're calling this series Revitalized, Coming Back to Life in Christ. The purpose of this series is very simply this. It's a call back to life. It's a call back to a reawakening It's a revival. It's a restoration. It's a call back to vitality. And it's one to each one of us individually as believers, as Jesus called it, the abundant life that he came to give us life. And that life was to be an abundant life. And so we're calling us back as individuals to the abundant life, but there's also the 
vitalness and the vitality that comes from the church being the church. And that's what we want to call ourselves back to. And our foundational passage is going to be Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and that's going to be the foundational passage for this series. And let me tell you the reason why we're using this passage as the foundation. To find a revitalized life, a revitalized church, we need to go back to Acts chapter 2. Because this is not where you find a revitalized life, is by adjusting to the new normals, understanding all the new normals, and trying to um, do the new normals better. You see, the way we get back to a vital, revived vitality in our life in a church is going back to what I want to call the kingdom normal, <laughs> the eternal normal that we see in the church of Jesus Christ when it was born in Acts chapter 2. You see, Acts 2 becomes the compass for us. It's that northern part on the compass. Remember being a Boy Scout, and uh, when you get lost in the woods, they said, always head north. And so you take out that compass and you head north. Well, the church in Acts chapter 2 is the northern point of the compass for us to help us regain our bearings and head the right direction when it comes to these turbulent and confusing days that resulted because of this cultural earthquake. It's where when we get back to the kingdom norms, of Acts chapter two, where we will find the abundant life as individual believers, and we'll find the church being the vital church that God called it to be, and we'll be experiencing the vitality that the church is meant to bring. And I, I you know, again, we're gonna open this up, I hope you're catching something. You know, as we can be an individual believer, but we can't be an individual church. You can't do the church by yourself. And God has called us together as a church. And it's so important that, yes, we have our own life in line and full of abundance and pointing north on the compass. But it's important that we have our church in line because as we come together, we impact one another. And that was part of God's design. And we are part of the people that as we walk together, that will be the key to some of the vitality that not only we feel, but those beyond these walls as we bring the message of Jesus Christ to them. So Acts 2 is our foundational passage because it is the what I want to call the kingdom norms, the kingdom practices, where if we want to be revitalized, this is the picture of what it looks like. So I hope you're in Acts 2, whether you be in your Bible, your phone, your pad, whatever you have with you. But what I like about Acts chapter 2, that we, we read the story of the birth of the church of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2. And you get down to uh, verse 42. And what happens is, is we begin to see what happened naturally. What sprung out of the church naturally at its birth. 
Over the next few weeks, the next number of months, as the church was born, and it was born when the Holy Spirit came into each individual believer. So this is when the Spirit of God entered into the new church and those new believers in Jesus. This is what their lives looked like individually and what their lives looked like together as a community. Kind of reminds me of a newborn baby, and that's why I kind of think of this, what happened naturally, why this, what, you know, with a baby, what do you look for? You look for signs of life. Did they, are they crying? Are they breathing? Are they moving? Just some of the basics. Who taught them to do that? Who told them to do that? Nobody. <laughs> Natural birth. That's what life looks like. And when a baby is healthy, they're crying, they're moving, and they're breathing. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 is what were the natural signs of life of what's healthy and foundational at the church? You following me? Not because they were told to do it, not because they're taught, but I, I'm sure that over the weeks and months that came, they were reinforced in that. But the point is, is that the church, when it was born, these were the things that naturally flowed out of them. These were the signs of life. These are the things that are healthy. These are the things that when Moraine Valley Church and the people of Moraine Valley and the people line get back to, these are the things that will revitalize our lives individually and our church corporately. In verse 42, we see what they were devoted to. In verses 43 through 47, we see what their life together looked like. So um, let me read that to get us familiar with the passage. Again, this is going to be the place that we kind of jumpstart from each week. Uh, but let me read Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. I'll just read the whole section. Remember, verse 42 shows what they were devoted to. Verse 43 shows us what their life looked like together. Let's read this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through everybody. Is that what the text says? Is that what your text says? Taking through the apostles. Got a lot of people today that want you to think that all these signs and wonders, that you know, if you're a real believer and you're walking right, you should be able to do all these miracles and signs and wonders. They were taking place through the apostles, not through all the believers. Matter of fact, when you read in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, we learn that the miracles and the signs and wonders were a validation that they were the true apostles. That was one of the things God gave the apostles to do. And so we need to remember these miracles were not everybody walking around performing miracles on one another. They were the apostles through whom God was doing the miracles. And because of that, everyone was feeling a sense of awe. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, 
They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me just introduce us to this passage a little closer as we look at this today. And again, this will be the foundation that will help us get some bearings in this entire series. But let's look at what they were devoted to. Look back at verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to, and then he mentions four things. By the way, continually devoting is something that uh, the word literally means they were steadfastly continuing. It's actually one word in the Greek, but we use two words to describe it in English. They were steadfastly, continually doing this. In other words, this is what they built their life around. This is what they poured their life into. This, these things are what they persisted in. They refused to stop. These were their priorities. This is what this church was built around. These were the four foundations. First, the apostles' teachings. I want you to note something. It's interesting. They weren't just devoted to the study of God's word. In particular, they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Now, the whole Bible's important. But the focus of this church, and really in our time and day and age, is really, what was the apostles' teachings? Well, we know that because they basically recorded them in the New Testament. They're the ones who wrote the New Testament. And they wrote about the life. Well, first of all, they talked about the birth of Jesus. They talked about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus. They talked about the ascension of Jesus. They talked about his return. And so the New Testament was really our whole I forgot the resurrection, which is foundational. Without the resurrection, you're at best a forgiven dead man or woman. With the resurrection, you got new life. <laughs> so yes, the, the birth, the life, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the return of Jesus is the real summary of what the whole New Testament's about. And in the Gospels and the book of Acts, we see historical literature that records what took place but then the uh, apostles wrote uh, the epistles, which is the teaching material that interprets for us the historical material, tells us why Jesus did all this and what it means to us. And so if we were to dedicate ourselves and focus ourselves uh, to the apostles' teachings, it's pretty much dedicating myself to the teachings of the New Testament. But let me tell you this, that does not mean you ignore the Old Testament because you can't understand the New Testament properly without understanding the Old Testament. It's the foundation of the New Testament. The story goes throughout the whole Bible. And the story begins back here of God setting up a kingdom where he's going to rule forever. And the story of sin coming in. And interesting, some of my brothers, we've been going through this recently the story of the Bible starts in Genesis 1 and 2. It's the only place in the Bible where there's no sin. Because starting in chapter 3, there's sin, and the story continues from there. 
and be, deals with the problem of now, how, how does this new problem of sin come in? How's it resolved? Well, God promises a Messiah to come who is going to deal with the sin and going to set up his kingdom. And we read about that all the way to the last two chapters of the Bible. And guess what? There's no sin again. <laughs> so that tells us something about the story of the Bible. We start with a time when, when God is ruling over his people with no sin interfering with that or the devil. Then we come back at the end and we see a time when God's ruling over his people forever. They're walking with him. There's no sin in the devil involved. And everything in between is the story of where we came from, how that got messed up, how God's going to restore that, and then the future we look forward to in eternity. You see, in the Old Testament lays the foundation for us, because even as we look at the kingdom to come, all the prophecies of the Old Testament describe for us what these, this kingdom's going to look like. God's kingdom's eternal, and it's manifested in different ways throughout history. His kingdom in the Old Testament was manifested as he was the king over Israel and they were his people. I believe his kingdom is manifested in this day through the church. And right now the church becomes the way he expresses his rulership over his people. And we're going to find in, we see in Revelation 19, there's going to be a 1,000 year period where Jesus will literally rule on earth sitting on a kingdom in Jerusalem, and that's a different aspect of God's eternal rule through his kingdom. And then we see in Revelation, the last two chapters, uh, we see the fact that Jesus and the Father are sitting together on the throne. I love the, the uh, theology of the throne because right now, where's Jesus? At the right hand of the throne with the Father. In the kingdom, he'll be sitting on the throne. In eternity, the two of them will be sharing the throne together. And so, as we think about the apostles' teaching, tell us about the time we're living in right now and the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, that this Old Testament helped us understand and hear about. So the whole Bible's important, but there was a special focus to understanding this person of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what that means to us. So that's what they focused on. That's what a healthy church focuses upon. Who Jesus is and how do we walk with him in this new covenant relationship that we have with him. Then there was a second thing they were dedicated to. The fellowship. By the way, in the Greek, each of these starts with the word the. The apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. Uh, I'm on, on two of them, I think that's important. I'll come to that in a minute. But fellowship, we need to understand, is a word that is much bigger than um, hanging out together and having coffee and donuts. Fellowship, the word literally means partnership. It's a sharing in common and so what these people had is they had a partnership and what they shared in common was the life of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. And they took that partnership so seriously. Matter of fact, when you're in a partnership, you're, ball, you're all carrying the uh, ball with equal responsibility. And so now these people felt a responsibility for each other's lives and for the mission that Jesus gave them together. 
And so the, the commitment they have in their devotion to the fellowship was to one another in their relationships because we're actually in partnership. It's not just we hang out and have coffee and donuts together. We get together for a small group every couple weeks. But rather, this was a day-in, day-out commitment to the people that they walked with, both in the mission and the life of Jesus. Again, we'll, we'll open up more of this in weeks to come. The third thing they were devoted to that they continually persisted in and refused to set aside was the breaking of bread. I believe that's communion. Um, again, you see the breaking of bread. You understand we learned about Jesus as the truth. There's something unique and special about Jesus. He's not just a truth. He is the truth. You know, and so the definite article points out something specific. And what he's talking about here is the breaking of bread. If you look down in verse 46, we see day by day continuing one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together. They separate the breaking of the bread and the taking the meals together. Some people think it's the same thing. Breaking bread means they were eating together. I think because of the definite article and the separation of verse 46, I think it's communion. And what they were devoted to is continually coming in the presence of Jesus and worshiping and thanking him for his death for them. That's what communion is. It's a reminder. It keeps in our memory, you know what? What we keep on uh, reviewing and keep on bringing back to us becomes the things that control our lives and fill us. And what they kept on doing was coming back to the fact of Jesus and his death. Kind of like when I take out a picture, it reminds me of that event that took place. And communion is a picture to remind us of Jesus and his death for us. And the early church was devoted to continually coming in the presence of Jesus and thanking him for his death for us. And then finally, and to the prayer. That's the fourth thing they were devoted to. Bottom line, it meant they prayed a lot. And they prayed a lot together. Uh, because of the word the, there's two ways people, some believe that there's a certain content to what they prayed. And... Um, use some of the historical books to help us see some of the early prayers of the early church. I personally think it's not necessarily the content of their prayers, but I think it has more to do with the time of their prayer. And let me tell you why. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Just look down from where you're at, just a couple verses. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour the hour of prayer. Turn over to Acts chapter 10. Verse 30. Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me. 
it, it seemed like, as we saw in Acts, the ninth hour was the hour of prayer. At 3 p.m. each day, people would set things down because it was considered the hour of prayer during the early church, and they would come together and pray. And so no matter what way you want to take it, whether you think it has to do with the content, whether you think it has to do with the timing, the point is this, that they prayed often and they prayed together often. In this early church, this is what they built their life around. The teachings, especially the teachings of Jesus as found in this word taught by the apostles, their relationships to one another became the priority in their lives the communion with Jesus over his death for them, and then the prayers together, coming together and taking a hold of God through prayer. And God says those who draw near to him, he'll draw near to them. Whoever calls upon the Lord, he draws near to. So the church experienced the nearness of the presence of God through communion and prayer as they met together. As a result of this, then we see the life because this is what they devoted themselves to. Then we see out of this, we see what their life, their community, their church looked like. As we saw in 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Then verse 44, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day. Now listen to this. This is the exact same word as in verse 42. It could be interpreted day by day. They were continually devoting. Same tense, same word. Day by day, they were continually devoting with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. I want you, let me just stop here. A lot of churches, probably us to a great degree as well, have shaped their Sunday morning experience or their small groups around the four things in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to. And so in many ways, uh, we feel like we're doing good with fulfilling the, what God has called his early church to do when we meet together for an hour, hour and a half, two hours on Sunday. We hear his word and we worship together and we hang out over coffee together and once in a while pray. Verse 46 says the church was a day-by-day -day experience. Church is not just a building and a program that takes, event, uh, takes place on Sunday morning from 9.30 to 11.00. Church is something that took place every day. And they were continuing to devote themselves with one mind to the temple. Well, what happened at the temple? Well, the temple is the place they came together because we just saw in chapter three, they were heading at the ninth hour to the hour of prayer at the temple. And so at the temple, they prayed together and the apostles were teaching them as a group together regarding what they were to learn. But they also were meeting house to house day by day. They were taking their meals together. They were eating together with gladness and sincerity of heart. That means they weren't just eating together. They were being very honest with one another. 
And maybe one of them would have said if it was, just, you know, this week has been the worst week I've had in my life. That's what eating with sincerity is all about. They were honest with one another. There were no faces, nothing hidden. But they were very real about what was going on in their life. And they were people that walked with each other with no masks. They spent a lot of time together. They were praying together, learning God's word together, taking communion together. They were walking with one another with gladness and sincerity of heart. And they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I have no idea where I am in my notes. Let me grab us back here. We see deep relationships that took place day by day with a community of people who generously served one another no matter what your need was. They were together regularly with one another. They spent a lot of time together. They grew together as they came to God's word and prayed, fellowshiped, and had communion, and they were telling others. And in weeks to come, we're going to take a look at all of this. And um, our desire is to learn what are the kingdom norms. <laughs> now, what are the new norms that our culture is experiencing that, as we know, Romans don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We want as individuals and as a church to be transformed by the word of God as to what we as people in a church look like. And the reason for all this is so we can be revitalized. As believers with the abundance of life and we can be the vital church that we need for each other and the world around us. So that's where we're going. Let me just say a word. There may be some who, I want to speak to those who have legitimate reasons for not being able to gather, whether it be on Sunday or during the week. Uh, so again, I'm not here to judge who should be here, who shouldn't, and what your life is. That's not my place because I don't know your life well enough. I can't even figure out my own life, so who am I to figure out yours? So I want to speak to the, those who have gotten into bad habits. That's a whole different message, and there are some things you need to take a look at. But for those who have legitimate reasons and they're wise, I want you to hear, hear us this series is not so much about come back to church on Sundays and be with us. We want to lay out the norms that are important for your life wherever you are because church is a day-by-day -day thing. And we want to talk to you about the things that will make you healthy. So let's say you're someplace, wherever, and you can't make it. You know what? You still need these practices to be healthy, and we need to find new ways for you. To be able, so the important things are is take a look at my life and say, are these a part of my life? Are these a part of my church life? And how can I do it? We offer many programs and ways at Moraine Valley that can really help people with these, but maybe some of you aren't available to join into them or have a different way. The important thing is, is that this is a part of your life. And as I'll say in weeks to come, if you can't come to church here, make your home the church. <laughs> And you know what, we'll, we're going to talk about ways you can do that, practical ways, where you can still engage with others and do ministries, whether it's here or wherever you are. 
The church is a seven day a week, 24 hour experience. And we need to be a people that are experiencing the things that Acts chapter two talks about. And when we do, our life will be full of abundance. Our church will be a vital church for one another and the world around us. And we'll gain the vitality that comes from being connected with a vital church of Jesus Christ. So this is your homework for this week. Take some time to meditate and reread. You know what, guys? Pat, Mike, and Josh, knowing these things and doing these things will not help you at all. You knowing these things and doing them will transform your life. You following me? It's kind of like, you know, I was watching a conference yesterday. I love what they closed with. They talked about if you go to the counselor and hoping them to fix you, because what the counselor knows and says and does is not going to fix anybody. What's going to fix you is when you know it and you believe it and you do it. So I want to give you something for you that's going to help you in this process. And that's this week. Go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It's not a lot of verses. Take some time studying it, meditating on it, praying over it, and being radically honest and saying, where is my life today after this cultural earthquake? How's my life measuring up with these kingdom norms that are not dependent upon the times or the culture, but are dependent upon God? And you know what? Not only how are you doing, but you gotta ask yourself, Honestly, as we're asking ourselves, how is Moraine Valley Church doing? How am I doing individually and how am I doing individually with the church and how's the church doing as we look at these and seek to be honest? And then there's the last thing. For some of us, there may need to be a need for repentance. Repentance is very simple. It means to change your mind. It means to change your mind so much that it actually changes the direction of your life. You see, it's a change of mind that changes my behavior. And so repentance is that work of God when he so transforms my thinking as I'm looking in the word of God by his spirit that it transforms the way that I live my life. And it all starts with repentance, which is the flip side of the coin of confession. What does confession mean? To say the same thing God says about it, to agree with God. Yes, God, you say this is wrong, this is sin, this isn't healthy, uh, this is what's good, this, you know, and you say this, I confess, God, you're right. The way my life is going is sin, it's not right, it's out of whack. And so when I confess that, and so that's saying the same thing as God. And I'm actually changing my mind about my life because I came to church on Sunday morning thinking everything was good. And as I look at Acts chapter two, I'm looking saying maybe everything isn't good. I'm changing my mind about myself. You follow me? <laughs> I'm repenting. I'm confessing to God. I'm like, now God, you know what? My life's out of line with this. And this is where you say, vitality resides. And so for you to know it and to do it, for you to repent to the degree, and part of repentance is stop relying upon yourself to do it and making room. I love that song we sing sometimes, God, we make room for you. Come into my heart, do whatever you gotta do. 
Brothers and sisters, we need the church to be the church. The world needs the church to be the church. I need you and you need me to be the church if we want to live the abundant life that Jesus has promised us and have a vital church and the vitality that comes from it. So that's my heart. That's our heart. That's where we're going. We're excited about it. I hope you are because if you are and you enter in with all your heart, guess what, man? You get the benefit. (laughs) I get the benefit because my life will be revitalized. I'll get more abundance in my Christian life and hopefully will be a greater blessing to one another and the world around us. So Father, I want to pray this. Would you be pleased to visit us by your Holy Spirit? That's who Lord, that's who changed the early church. It was his presence that came into the life of these people that so radically turned their lives upside down. They changed their mind about Jesus and they recognized he was the Messiah. They changed their minds about themselves and they recognized that they were in sin and they turned to Jesus and embraced him and Lord, you gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you the Spirit lives in us who are believers. And we want to make room for him and invite him as the song we sang earlier, shake the dust off our lives. God, would the Holy Spirit bring us back to life better than ever so we can bring more glory to you and be a greater blessing to those around us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.